Welcome to episode three of Saved by the Ball, the Motown Chronicles. My name is German, and I'm here with Money. Hey, what's up, everybody? And we're here to talk about Lions. It's been a while, Money. You know, we need to talk about Matthew Stafford. We need to talk about the front office. We talk about the coaching staff, free agency, the draft. You know, I we agree. Need to, and that's just the line stuff. You know, we need to talk Pistons too. It's been a while. You know, I know me and you have been trying to record this for a while. Yeah, <laughs> kick, kick down the line. You know, I think we. Uh, I wrote like three or four outlines. We initially wanted to record this before Killian even got hurt. You know, but then you know we we're like, hey, Killian's hurt. Maybe we should wait a week. And then you know a whole line shakeup happened. And you know maybe we should wait a week. Uh, yeah, for kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And you know it's been like like months now. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. We're, we're gonna we're gonna stick back to it. We we got a little plan to do it weekly. Um. For a little while there, we both got busy on both sides, and yeah, actually, sure. not much wasn't happening either. Like I get, I get, you know, the Pistons were playing, but Killian was out, and Bay's been on fire. But other than that, nothing's really been happening. We know that they're in a rebuild, and the the Lions definitely had some moves going, and we definitely gotta, we definitely gotta cover those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll get to the Pistons probably maybe next week. Uh, we're gonna stick to the Lions in this episode. But yeah, I mean, let's let's kick it right off. Um, you know, obviously the, the biggest news here um, for for everybody is Matthew Stafford. You know, obviously he's no longer with the Lions. Uh, he's with the Rams. Uh, the trade was uh, Matthew Stafford uh, for Jared Goff, um, a third round pick this year, a uh, first round pick next year, and I think it was a 2024 first round pick. Uh, so two first rounds, a third, and Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. So um, let's, you know, let's roll right with it. You know, I want to start with, um, you know, we'll talk about the trade. We'll talk about the value, but, you know, let's just start with Matthew Stafford, the person, the quarterback and his legacy with the Lions. You know, um, you know, he's been here for a long time. He was number one overall pick. Uh, what are your thoughts on Matthew Stafford as a player? Um, looking back, was he the right move? And, and just give me your thoughts on him. Looking back, I still remember the day of uh, the draft. We selected him number one overall. Funny story, his the, last uh, – Was that the Aaron Curry draft? I think it was uh, – It was. It was. Aaron yeah, Curry went yeah. second overall to the Seahawks, and that's when he was begging the Lions to take him first overall that we wouldn't regret it, and he turned out to be a huge bust. So that was good. Um, <laughs> but funny story is uh, one of the games I remember from Cod Stafford career is he was playing Michigan State in his last bowl game. Uh, first half came out there just kind of stinking it up, wasn't doing his greatest. And I was like, man, why is this guy the first overall projection? Like he, he plays, he, he was playing good, but it wasn't the best. You know, I, I wasn't seeing the best. He comes out second half, just slinging it and beats Michigan state. And I was like, Oh, okay. I see where it is now. And I, I believe that was the right move. He was always a leader. He was always like a great locker room guy. Everybody had nothing negative to say about him. Uh, Even players that came in from other organizations like Golden Tate, when he came from the Seahawks, he had nothing but good things to say about Stafford. Even after he left, nothing but good things to say. And that's what I see the common trends with the players. When they come in, they have nothing to get things uh, to say about him. And when they leave, they have nothing but good things to say about him. So it just shows what kind of guy he was in the locker room, how important he was to the Lions. And, and, you know, I just blame the Lions front office for – kind of never getting the guy the success he needed. Uh, he could have been a playoff winner here, but we never put the necessary pieces around him. And that's what I'll go down believing is it's always on the Lions front office that that guy did everything he could in his part. Yeah, no, I agree. And, 
you know, that's, that's a great point. You know, there, I don't think there's anybody I've heard anybody ever say anything bad about Matthew Stafford. You know, there's players that come, come in and, and go uh, on bad terms, especially these last, you know, four or five years, you know, Snacks, Harrison, uh, Darius Lake, Quandre Diggs, right, right. Reddick, all these guys, you know, they may hate the organization and they, they laugh at the organization on, on Twitter and, and Twitch and whatnot, but they, whenever they get a chance, they, they stick up for Matthew Stafford and, and, and just say how, how big of a dog he is. You know, even like Nate Burleson, he, he played with him and um, he's like the one only you know, national media guy to, to stick with the Lions, him and, and, and Dan Orlovsky. But oh, yeah, for sure. Know, it, just the amount of love he gets, you know, and, and I always love that he was, you know, kind of low key. Um, you know, he gets a lot of slack for, you know, not being vocal and stuff. But, um, you know, I kind of like that he's low key and he, and he, and he always really just worked, um, you know, he, he, he kind of proved it by showing his work ethic. You know, he didn't need to be vocal. Um, no, I agree. And then you, you, you were with me in my co- in our college days. So you, you know, I was ride or die for Stafford since day one. I would, yeah. I would always yeah. have that dude's back. Like, yeah, I don't know. Ba- back then, I guess like the fans didn't see it as much because he was younger and he was a rookie. And like, you know, we had Calvin, we had other weapons that are just like, why are we not getting success out of this? But it's like, they didn't look at it as a whole picture. It's like, we didn't have an old line for him. He barely had time to through. Uh, he went through so many different coaching staff, so many different offensive coordinators. It's like that guy was never set up for success. Yeah. And, you know, he has all the stats. He has all those numbers. And there's always going to be those people that say, you know, that's mostly Calvin Johnson. You know, he bailed him out. Uh, Stafford is what he is because he was throwing bombs to Johnson his entire career. But, um, you know, I think it's more than that. You know, I, I think uh, part of the reason Johnson was so good was because Stafford could sling it like that. Um, you know, he couldn't have done it with a, you know, an Alex Smith type of quarterback. I mean, Calvin couldn't have done it with an Alex Smith type of quarterback, you know. So, um, I agree. you know, that's that's part of it. I agree. And, and <clears throat> the point that you were getting to with Stafford as well is like his arm angles. He's been doing these type of throws way before Mahomes and and it's like it's funny because Stafford was never recognized for it he was actually brutalized for it it, it was that always too. yeah it was always he needs to fix his mechanics he needs to stop the sidearm throws he needs to do this and he needs to do that but it's funny now that Mahomes doing it, it's like oh my god look at what Mahomes can do oh my god he can sling his sidearm and it's like we're like sitting here as Detroit fans like okay Stafford's been doing this since he got drafted but he was knocked on for it yeah yeah. And yeah, I'll, I'm not going to lie. I, I used to, you know, knock him for that. You know, what is this weird baseball stuff? But hey, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing with Stafford. You know, he was never afraid to take a shot either. Um, you know, I think even this last season, uh, you know, he had a lot of uh, dumb interceptions, uh, but I think he was just trying to, he was trying to make plays, you know, it wasn't yeah uh, lack of talent. Um, and, and it was never, you know, um, it, it was uh, it was like the Brett Favre syndrome. It was just like exactly. he knows he knew he yeah. he knows that he could make that throw, so he's gonna make it. So yeah. whether that's gonna turn into a touchdown or interception is a different story. But in his head, if he can make the throw, he's gonna throw it. Yeah, yeah. So I guess staying on this topic, um, maybe give me your one or two favorite uh, Stafford moments. You know, off the top of your head, if you have anything memorable. Yeah. So one of them was one of those the the Michigan State game that I already talked about, and it, it was just funny, just because like it just happened to be a bowl game that I was watching. I didn't even know that it was his last bowl game. I wasn't a huge Stafford fan while he was in college. Uh, I'll admit that now. I didn't know much about him. Just knew that he was the projected number one over, overall pick. So I ended up watching that game. So that was really sweet to come uh, see him coming in slow the first half. And I was just like sitting there like, how the hell is this the guy, the first overall, supposed to be the first overall pick. And then the second half, he comes in and just tears it up and beats them. And I was like, oh, okay. Like he's clearly got it. <laughs> and then after that, 
I would say when he went for the hurry up offense against the Cowboys, uh, it was a game that was headed into OT, but Stafford had other plans. He hurried it up, didn't tell the team what was going on. They were, everyone thought he was going to spike it. And instead of spiking it, he just grabs it and uh, jumps over the line to go in for a touchdown. And then I think, I don't know if he made it right then and there or not, but then he ended up walking in anyways, but won us the game with that. Um, another throw was, I think I believe it was against the Colts. Uh, he threw this laser through Calvin Johnson, and it wasn't the greatest throw ever. It's like, but it was just this laser, and it hit Calvin right in the hands downfield. And I think he either was downed at the one yard line or two yard line. But even Calvin got up, and you know how after they released like the uh, audioed up people and stuff like that, and even like Calvin went to the sidelines and like told somebody about that throw and was like, "Did you guys just see what how Stafford threw that ball?" Like even Calvin was surprised about how he got it down there to him. Yeah, he had so many of those throws. I I remember one too. I forgot. The thing is, I, I don't even remember who who it was against, but it was a, just a, a laser. It was like a a rope to Golden Tate. Uh, he scrambled around and just just a laser. Um, yeah, I, that's not even put one of my list, but just there's so many of these throws that you just just there's you know incredible and and you can't forget. And 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 obviously we know one fan favorite moment of everybody in Detroit is um him his rookie year getting smashed by uh, <clears throat> can't remember Cleveland. the defensive yeah, Cleveland, yeah I can't yeah. remember the defensive tackle's name but he absolutely his shoulder got destroyed but that's, he went to the sidelines yeah I think it was Sean Rogers yeah and um and uh the coaches wanted to keep him out and he was like fuck this you guys are gonna keep me out and he went right back out there and slung it for a touchdown obviously that was amazing yeah and one w- 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 was, one more that was my bad. That's that was a, one of, actually you mentioned both my moments so I'll elaborate <laughs> on both of them but yeah go ahead yeah and then the last moment oh my god I still remember I was over at one of my buddies' house we were watching this game it was Lions against the Titans I'm sure everybody remembers this uh, Matt Stafford scrambled he ended up running the ball and he absolutely trucked this de- defender and I remember all of us just jumped up in joy and just screamed because you know, first of all, you never even see a quarterback uh, truck anyone. And out of all people, it's like Stafford, come on, you would not expect that out of him. And he's over there running over this Titans uh, defender. Yeah. I remember that too. That was fairly recent as well. And yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think he had it in him. So that was crazy. But yeah, just to elaborate on your two, you know, yeah, that Cleveland one, you know, that was uh, his rookie season, and I think he had a sprained AC joint, and uh, you know that that mic'd up, he made it even better. Oh uh, yeah, you know, they didn't even want him to go in, so that, that was obviously one, and you know that Dallas one was another one. It's funny because um, you know the commentators already counted us out. You know, we got the ball back with like a minute left, and they're already oh yeah, they're already like showing like the graphic of the record, and they already added a loss to our column or whatever. I remember I was working at Full Locker at the time and I brought my laptop to work and I put it in the back just to just for the game. And I was in the back and uh, I was like the only guy working there too. And it was a Sunday and it was pretty busy. And uh, I was just in the back watching the Lions game in the Star Wars. <laughs> so I'll never forget that. But yeah, those are good times, man. Just to wrap up the Stafford talk, uh, you know, we'll talk about his, uh, his trade value. But right, you know, before we get into that, I just want to, you know, wrap up his legacy uh, that we talked about. You know, for me, you know, he wasn't a field number one overall pick. He was the greatest quarterback in Lions history. And, uh, you know, you can't even argue that, um, you know, and it seems like, you know, he, he kept uh, the bottom from falling out on this team on, on multiple different occasions. Uh, and that's saying a lot, you know, this team was so bad from top to bottom, um, you know, they could have easily folded. So, you know, props to him for that. But at the same time, the team didn't really ever go over the top. Um, but, you know, 
then again, they only had a top, you know, five defense once in his entire uh, tenure here. So, yeah, going into that, uh, we'll talk about the trade. Uh, you know, um, like you said, uh, you know, he wasn't a field number one overall pick because uh, we got two firsts and a third for him. So, um, what do you think about that? And uh, what do you think where we are and what we got? For Matthew Stafford. Yeah, so I I love the trade. Uh, that shows what Stafford's value is around the league. Um, it shows that he wasn't a failed first round pick. He wasn't a failed quarterback. Everyone kind of knows, even even all the analysts, all the journalists, everyone freaking knows he was just stuck in Detroit type of thing. I mean, as soon as it came out that Stafford wanted to trade or they've agreed to mutually part ways. It, it was like crazy. It was like everybody was calling for Stafford. So it, it shows like the t- amount of respect he has around the league. Um, Rex Ryan has kind of always said it. He's he said it from years past that this guy's a great quarterback, just stuck in Detroit. Stephen A has always alluded to that. Um, so it, it shows you like what, what his um, respect is around the league versus the respect that he has in Detroit. Cause I feel like a lot of Detroit Lions fans don't respect him and and it's just because of, oh, he hasn't had playoff success. Oh, he hasn't done this for us. But it's like he's only one man. He can only do so much. And they hold him accountable for literally everything. But when it comes to the front office, they're not holding them accountable to, for putting a, a team around him. But like I was saying, that shows the type of respect that he gets around the league from past players, from GMs, from teams that, that were just going after him. It just shows that he was not a failed quarterback and people obviously think he's better than we think he is. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, this anyone on yes or any national, you know, NFL personality is slobbering over Matthew Stafford right now, you know, whereas, exactly. You know, they were shunning him or, or, you know, saying he wasn't a top 10 quarterback when he was here uh, in Detroit and people are yeah. gonna be surprised, you know, he's, he's a gunslinger and uh, that's like the perfect coach for him. And yeah. Uh, and I look at McVay, they, they call him the offensive guru and look, look at what he just did to get Stafford. I mean, he got rid of his own quarterback that was only 25 years old coming off of a, I mean, not the most recent, but he was coming off of a Super Bowl uh, visit but they lost and two first round picks and a third. So it's like he clearly moved whatever he needed to, to get Stafford. Uh, it, like his goal was, okay, bring Stafford to LA. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I just want to clarify, I think earlier I said it was a 2024 first. Uh, the trade was uh 2022 first round pick, 2023 first round pick and a 2021 third round pick. So, Oh, okay. I didn't uh, catch that. And, 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 and golf. So uh, just talking strictly value, you know, in the NFL, if you get, two first round picks and a third round pick for anything, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, astronomical value. Uh, and, and uh, you know, a former first round pick starting quarterback who's played in the Super Bowl has, you know, playoff experience, you know, say what you want about golf, you know, yeah, he's not a top tier quarterback, but I'd put him in that, you know, game manager category, you know, same with um, you know, Alex Smith or maybe a lower level Alex Smith. And, you know, you can build around that. You know, he may not be a franchise quarterback. He may not be, you know, one to take you over the top. But for a team that's rebuilding, uh, a team that needs help in every single position, you know, Jared Goff is, is someone that can fit in and and not, you know, mess it all up. You know what I mean? And we'll talk about Jared Goff, you know, um, and just really just want to talk about the value. Um, you know, there's also people that say, hey, you know, uh, there's not too much immediate return for this. Um you know, there, there could have been more value coming from more immediate value coming from, say, Washington or Carolina, giving up, you know, this year's pick. Um, but that's not really what the Lions are trying to do. Um, you know, if they're not really trying to get a, a immediate fix, you know, flip it and, and you know, they're, this is, they're trying to 
have long-term success, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll try to, they're still going to build a good foundation uh, this year. Uh, but having picks in the future will give them more opportunities to add to that, you know, as they're already, uh, you know, progressing. So they can be added uh, as pieces further along in the timeline, um, if that makes sense. So, you know, no, it does. And, um, and like we were saying, value wise, if you, if you look at it, um, I know they got traded for each other, but Jared Goff himself, he, he, he was a number one overall pick. So if you're talking about value alone, Stafford is a 33 year old quarterback. That's bringing in two first rounders, uh, a third rounder and another former first round quarterback for just himself. I mean, I, I believe you can't get any better than that. I mean, look at Wentz went for what? Uh, I think he went for a 21 third round pick and then a conditional 22 second round pick, I believe it was. So, and that's Carson Wentz. He's uh, right before his ACL injury, people were talking about him being the MVP. Obviously they went to the Super Bowl without him and won. He's had some great um, seasons. And then ever since his ACL tear, he's kind of regressed some, but still you'd think they'd they could have netted in a little better than that. I mean, look at what Stafford got compared to Wentz. So just value alone, I believe we got tremendous value for Stafford. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, you know, we're going to miss him. And, yeah, he's a good player. But, you know, I think it's good for both parties. You know, we got what we wanted. We got what we need. Um, and then he got what he, what he wanted. And, you know, he'll have a shot to, to win it all. And I love the fact that Stafford leaving, even on his way out, helped us. I mean, that guy's done nothing but help us throughout his whole career. But even leaving, he still helped us get as many picks as, as we could for him. I mean, he could he could have left on worse terms. He could have. I mean, those Matt Patricia years were awful, and oh, they sucked the life out of Stafford. You could tell that they sucked the life out of Stafford. He Did could have just uh, just shit yeah. it on the organization and left every like worst way possible, but. He was still quiet just behind the scenes. I mean, we didn't even hear about that. He requested uh, – apparently it happened right after the season ended, but we didn't find out about it till later because that's how he kept things, just he kept things behind the doors and quiet. And that that to me was amazing that he just knew his plan. He knew it was time to part ways. He went to the uh, – he went to management and quietly spoke to them about it and kind of let them know his intentions, didn't cause a scene, didn't cause any rumors or whatnot, and that was it. It was just a clean exit. Yeah, not only that, I mean, um, there he's sitting in on some uh, coaching and GM interviews too. I mean, just to provide yeah. a, like a football voice. I mean, uh, just a selfless guy, you know. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Matt, Matt Patricia. You, did you see that uh, tribute video, um, you know, that nine-minute-long tribute video that they put out? Um, oh, no. Who, who did that? <laughs> the Lions, Lions put out a, a tribute video for Stafford, you know. Uh, just, oh, okay, you know, okay. yeah. Stafford, like Stafford I did. I, I thought you were talking yeah. about Matt Patricia. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and they, they're they showing, like, all those coaches. They showed Jim Schwartz, you know, Scott Linehan, uh, uh, Jim Caldwell, you know, all, all the coaches. <laughs> they didn't show Matt Patricia once or anyone <laughs> from that regime. It was just hilarious. That was funny. No, I, I thought it was funny, too, when, when it came public that he requested a trade. The only thing that came out with it is that he didn't want to go to New England. I thought that was hilarious. Like, yeah. he, he's just so fed up with them. And, you know, he did it the most respectful way. He didn't badmouth them. He still, if he gets asked questions by reporters, he still uh, respectfully answers, doesn't badmouth any of them. So he, he's an overall good guy, obviously. But I, I just thought it was funny that he was like, no, oh, fucking New England, like, don't send me there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to go there either, man. That place looks terrible. 
But yeah, okay. So we got um, all this stuff for Stafford, two picks, a third round pick. Uh, you know, what are we going to do with it? And uh, who's it going to be up to? We got this uh, new, you know, organization front office led by Brad Holmes and Ray Agnew. What do you think? What do you think of Brad Holmes? And what do you think of the front office? Obviously, me and you text a lot. You knew my initial reaction. My initial reaction wasn't the best. I was like, oh, my God, this is another Bob Quinn all over again. Before I did my research and dug into it a little more, I was I was not happy with the signing. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? He wasn't even he wasn't even mentioned as much as these other guys that were available. Where, where, how did they come up with this decision? And, oh, great, it's another uh, guy from the scouting department. I was just all down on this guy just because of – the bad taste that Bob Quinn left in my mouth. <laughs> so I guess I unfairly judged him, but seeing his first couple of moves, I'm, I'm liking the guy. Uh, I think it is a good signing. I think he's different than Bob Quinn. He's not, he's not trying to just come in and turn us into the new England or should I say the Detroit Patriots. It's, it's not like a move like that, or just reach for a bunch of players so far. It looks like his plan is to just rebuild and rebuild the right way. Obviously, he started that off great by getting two extra first-round picks in the next couple of years and another third this year. Uh, we'll see what other moves are made. There's, like, a little bit of rumors out there that Lions may trade back in this draft. So we'll, we'll see what he does. But so far, I'm liking the move. But, again, my initial reaction was a negative one. I didn't really care for it, but he changed that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. In theory, I, I always want to scout, you know, at the top of my – organization uh someone mm-hmm. who's seen talent you know someone who can who can judge talent um you know i don't want the person who's making the final say to have to rely on someone else's eyes to to make a decision you know so um you know in in personal theory i always want to scout whether it's college scout or personnel scout at the top of my organization uh brad holmes uh ends up being a college scout he was a college scouting director and um for the rams uh and you know, for a team that's trying to get better, younger, for a team that's been garbage in the draft for decades, you know, I think this was the right move. Um, you know, initially, I had never heard of this guy. Um, and, you know, I was – I didn't want him, you know, um, you know just because <laughs> I, I, had, I didn't heard of him and uh, right. I didn't know who he was or where he came from. And, and to be honest, the, the Rams' um, you know, draft history isn't something that's too great. I mean, obviously, they do have – you know, players that they, the gems they found in later rounds. And that's kind of what his, his, his thing is, you know, he doesn't miss on first round picks and he doesn't, um, uh, he doesn't have too many, like, like complete misses on like um, mid round picks. You know, he has a decent history of finding players in the mid to late rounds uh, and he doesn't miss on first round picks. So, um, you know, that's going to be a nice change from Bob Quinn, who is always locked into, you know, his player his guys uh, he right his type of guys you know he'll trade up for his guys uh reach he'll reach on his guys yep yep so <laughs> it's it's gonna be nice now we'll probably see reaches here and there too but you know it won't be for you know players that are <laughs> projected six round picks you know in the second round they'll they'll be you know probably guys from smaller schools or probably guys who are slower 40 yard times but you know those are things they overlook um you know they they, they value physicality uh, more than anything uh, and right. so uh i i appreciate that you know, I appreciate the new, uh, you know, front office structure as well. Uh, you know, previously it was. Um, yeah. And uh, not, not uh, to cut you off, but yeah, go ahead. Sh- Sheila Hamford deserves 
all the credit for this. Like yeah. everyone, everyone when she took over was like, "Oh, it's still the same old lines. It's still in the same family. She's gonna be the same as her mother." Which I thought her mother tried. Like I, I thought, I thought William Clay Ford was the worst. I, I thought her mom tried. Like you know, she just she was old. She didn't. She had the personnel around there. She brought in some good guys. Jim Codwall. He took us to the playoffs twice, right? And um. Or yep. he had yep. a winning record twice, or did he take us to the playoffs no, twice? Playoffs twice, yep. And then yep. Uh, playoffs twice. So Bob Quinn's you know, first year as well. Uh, that's why you couldn't fire him because they went to the playoffs. Right, and so that that's why I feel like we can't really blame. Like I feel like the mother was trying to, but Sheila, Sheila, I feel like just did an amazing job setting up this front office, and not even the front office, just a structure of it, just a bunch of brilliant football minds, just all in one office. And I, I guess it, like her goal was to probably prove to the city of Detroit, like, okay, I'm not trying to build the same old lines. Like I'm trying to change this stuff around i'm trying to produce you guys a winner or, or a team that will go out there and show that they're competitive because one thing on looking back at matt patricia's era this team like okay yeah they were losing games but they weren't even looking competitive at all they looked like they had no energy they looked like they weren't trying and it, it was just all bad all the way around and i feel like she did a great job of just changing the whole nucleus around of this team yeah of course and um you know it's it's okay. It's okay for an owner not to know, uh, you know, football stuff. You know, they shouldn't have to. They're an owner, right? But to, you know, know that you don't know and not ask the right people or not surround yourself with people that know football. That's you know ineptitude, and that's what the lines have been doing for 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 years and years and years. The Fords don't know football, and they know they don't know football. They've never had a football, you know, sounding board or anybody ever. Um, <laughs> You know, they brought in Rod Wood a couple of years ago and he's a good guy. You know, he's, he's done a great job for, you know, lines business. You know, if you talk to any season ticket holder, they say, you know, the upgrades to Ford Field are, are uh, amazing. Um, but he's not a football guy and, uh, you know, no fault to him. He's a good guy. Uh, but they don't have a, they've never had a football guy up there, uh, you know, at the ownership level to, you know, <laughs> let them know if they're doing the right thing or not. You know, when they went and got uh, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, uh, you know, they, they went to an agency and, and hired a, a football guy, Ernie Corsi. But, you know, he, was, he wasn't doing the best thing for the team. He didn't care about the team. He was just trying to get his boys, you know, jobs. And that's how Bob Quinn got here. So, uh, yeah, no, Sheila is surrounding herself with the right people. I mean, yeah, she brought in even Chris Spielman. You know, I yeah. mean, he's yeah. a special assistant to her. People say, oh, a special assistant, what is he, a... Uh, a Dwight Schrute uh, office reference, but uh, no, I mean, he's a, he's a football sounding board. You know, he's a football guy. He's respected. Uh, even when he was a commentator, he was respected. And you oh, know, yeah. about these commentators, you know, when they do these games, they get back, you know, inside, you know, uh, views of things, you know, they hear things, they speak to people and, you know, they, they see how things are run. So. Yeah. And I like how Sheila handled that too. It's not like she just came in and gave him this like major position. It's not like she just came in and was like, okay, Chris Bielman, he's a former lion. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, he's respected in the Lions community. Let's just give him the GM role or assistant GM. It's like she came in and she brought him on as a consultant to help her with decision-making and whatnot. So it's like what, what she's doing is she's doing it the right way. She's just, getting all the football minds in there, getting the right opinions, getting getting the knowledge that she needs to build this team. So it's like, I feel like this was like, you know, as a Lions fan, we, we've we went through so many coaching changes since I was a little kid. This this one like finally feels right, if you know what I'm saying. And obviously we won't know until a couple of years from now how this pans out and we're always excited about new coaches. But there's just something about this whole structure, this whole front office she put together that just feels right. Yeah, 
And just to add on to that, and this is probably my, my favorite part of the entire offseason for the, the whole team, you know, coaching staff, front office, roster, free agency, anything, is John Dorsey. They, they brought him on in the front office, uh, not as a GM, uh, not even an assistant GM, you know, kind of more as a, uh, you know, an analyst or not even an analyst. I'm not even sure what his actual role is. I, I probably should look it up uh, for <laughs> if we're going to be talking about it on a podcast. But, you know, he's part of the front office and, you know, John Dorsey has a, has a great history of, of drafting players and finding players. You know, people always say, oh, you know, why didn't Cream Hunt go higher? You know, why didn't Tyreek Hill go higher? Uh, you know, we got to overlook these issues and stuff. You know, this is someone who does, you know, and not to say, you know, that's the type of person he is. Oh, he overlooks these issues and he just likes thugs, but he can see talent and he only sees pure talent. You know, I think he's gone three for three on quarterbacks. He was part of the team that drafted Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Part of the team that drafted, he was the GM when they drafted Patrick Mahomes in Cal, uh, in Kansas City. This entire Kansas City team was pretty much handpicked by John Dorsey. You know, they've made changes over the past three, three four years, but the pretty much base of it is John Dorsey. And, and the Browns team now. Yeah, and then Baker Mayfield. Dude, the, the Browns, I honestly, maybe I don't know the uh, in-depth of what happened there, but the roster he put together on paper was amazing. It was, uh, you know, he brought in OBJ. He brought in... Um, um Jarvis Landry you know. it, it was just other personnel decisions like giving Freddie Kitchens the job when he that, didn't yeah. deserve it that probably is where it spiraled down there but um just just so the people know uh, he's brought in here as a senior senior personnel executive so like you said he's just here to help make decisions and give him the <laughs> proper education to uh sign draft pick sign draft picks well draft players uh, and that that's probably like his best role that way he's not in there hand picking coaches because obviously that's like where his downfall was but he could pick players and that's what we have him in here for is just to help us hand pick these players yeah exactly and yeah his thing yeah exactly his thing is these personal decisions and i guess he was maybe a a hothead and he didn't get along with people at the top, but, you know, as an executive, you know, if you're not the top of the organization and you're just being used as a sounding board, you know, you're only pulling the positives and, you know, you're ignoring the negatives. That's kind of what a sounding board is. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, I love it. You know, this is, this is exactly the type of front office they need. You know, when's the last time you've had like a, um, a steady name in the front office or, or a known name in the front office? Like I, I can't remember exactly. Exactly. It's been forever. Like, I feel like the last time was, uh, I mean, and it's not like he worked out for us. He was horrible for us, but Matt Millen, he was a known name just because of his track record, but he was a horrible, horrible GM, but he was also probably not deserving of the GM position at the time either. It's just another line. Yeah, but that's just, that goes back to the Ford family. Just not right. Exactly. Exactly. But no, yeah, well, let's take it to the coaching staff. You know, we'll get to Anthony Lynn, Aaron Glenn, but let's first talk about Dan Campbell. Uh, so Brad Holmes, you know, we just talked about him. Uh, you know, we like where he is. Uh, we like where he's going. Uh, and we like that he's, a, you know, a college scout. Uh, but his first personnel decision was bringing in Dan Campbell. You know, uh, unproven, uh, not a first-time head coach. You know, he has interim head coach experience with the Dolphins. Um, former Lions tight end. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what do you think of this hire? And uh, let me know your thoughts on uh, the staff he's assembled. Um. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to just sound biased with all the sign- signings. Uh, I, I do like the signing, but I, it wasn't one of my first choices, per se, if you know what I'm saying. Like, uh, with all the names out there, I, I definitely wasn't thinking Dan Campbell at first. But when he did get into the mix and I started looking him up, I was just like, okay, this is not too bad of a move. It's not like 
he doesn't come off arrogant like Matt Patricia, just a know-it-all. Like, I, I like the fact that this guy was able to admit mistakes, was able to admit the fact that, okay, while he was interim head coach, that he had a lot to learn, and he took the time to go and learn it instead of just being like, okay, no, I need to try to go get another head coaching uh, gig. I like the fact that, and I don't know if you saw the Pat McAfee interview with him, but even in even during that interview, he was admitting admitting his past mistakes and things that he needed to work on, things that he needed to learn, and it's like, wow, that's a great guy that, that comes on live and just admits these things that he was making mistakes. Uh, uh, he talked about communications was one of the things that he needed to work on, like communications between him and the communications between him and the DC. So I, I feel like a guy that can hold himself accountable like that is going to come out to make a great co- uh, leader and a coach. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I've kind of gotten to that point over time as well. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Initially, I wasn't a huge fan um, you know, personally, you know, um, just a personal philosophy, you know, if I were to hire a coach, it'd, it'd be an X's and O's guy, you know, someone who's a good strategist and someone who can come up with a great a game plan. Um, but there are success stories. You know, most successful head coaches are not X's and O's guys. They're generalists or special teams coaches. Um, and, you know, I guess that's a trend that that's, that's coming on, you know, um, it, and if he can surround himself with a staff that, you know, is X and Zos and, and can, can motivate the players, then, you know, and I think he has, and we'll talk about it, you know, and then I think I can agree that this hire will, will be good. Uh, he's a great motivator. You know, every time you hear him talk, you know, even on an interview, you know, he gets you pumped up. It gets me pumped yeah, up. Yeah, he does. Gets everyone pumped up. You know, everyone laughs about, you know, that kneecap stuff, but uh, I didn't find it does. funny, dude. That kind of like, that kind of got me riled up. That got me pumped up. You know, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of stuff you want. You know, it was kind of the national media kind of, laughing at it but um you know i kind of liked it and and, uh, and i feel like he said it on purpose too because he knows one of the things we're miss- missing during matt patricia's time is just that that competitive edge like yeah. just coming out and that, just, just everything about him is the complete opposite of matt patricia he is the anti-matt patricia you know i agree he's he's, he, he's, he's not he's fit <laughs> he's not fat you know he, he talks <laughs> uh he's open uh, you know, sometimes he won't stay. Sometimes he talks too much and you're like, all right, dude, you probably shouldn't be telling this to, to, to everybody. You know, he won't stop talking again. Uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of love it. And he's, you know, he, he's caring. He's nice. Um, and kind of gives me the Mike Vrabel vibes. Yeah. And he tells you how it is. Even Mike Vrabel comes off as kind of like an, uh, like a, like an asshole, you know, like a frat boy. This guy's yeah. just a straight, you know, a, a nice guy, you know, just a straight up nice guy. And you can tell the players like it too, you know, just the, the sense you're seeing from you know, the free agents and, and some of the guys that are re-signing and coming in, you know, you can tell that they know like this isn't the same Lions. Like even like Jamal Williams, he was like, man, if, if this was the Lions last year, you, I would not be here. Yeah. And, and, it's, and Stafford as well. He, he approved of the signing. And, but like, like I said, he was honest with them, letting them know that he probably wasn't going to be a part of the future plans, but even with Stafford, he, he did like the signing though. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, you know, if I'm okay with, you know, having a generalist or kind of like a, a, a leader as a head coach, if you surround him with X's and O's guys, and that's exactly what they've done. You know, uh, from day one, I told you my number one choice for offensive coordinator was Anthony Lynn and that's, they brought him in and, you know, people will say, Oh dude, this guy was a garbage uh, uh, head coach. Uh, Anthony, he was a great head coach. Uh, he was a terrible game manager. You know, his timeout decisions were terrible. His clock management was terrible. But every single year, his running game is running. Uh, you play fantasy, right? Every single yeah. year, his running backs were always near the top. You know, dating back to Buffalo when you had LaShawn McCoy back then. You know, dating, you know, uh, you know, wherever he's been. 
Um, no, I agree. And and uh, with that Chargers team, the problem was they were in a lot of lot of close games. It's not like they were getting blown out or anything like that. Like where people says he's a horrible head coach, that's going a little too far. Yeah, he wasn't the greatest, but he wasn't horrible. A lot of his games were close games that he lost at the end, and it was like you said, it was just game time uh, decisions that ended up costing him. But his offense was always right there. I mean, look at look at what he just did with uh, Herbert, and Herbert was a rookie. Yeah, Keenan, dude, I've, I'm a big Keenan Allen guy. I I make a point to pick him in fantasy every. I've had him like three years straight, and I watched a lot of Chargers and love Keenan Allen. <laughs> their offense moves the ball. You know, they they may they may make some stupid decisions, uh, but that's obviously that was clock management. That was probably the dumbest stuff. That's probably one of the worst clock management teams I've seen over the past couple of years. But hey, you know, as an offensive coordinator, you're not gonna have to worry about that kind of stuff. You know, right? So uh, I'm 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 on board with Anthony Lynn uh, and. You know, I, I always support minority hires too. So, uh, yeah, and I, I like the fact that he brings head coaching experience just to add too. on with Dan yep. Campbell. Like, exactly, that, that, that's perfect for our OC position that he has the head coaching uh, experience. He doesn't have to be a head coach where his downfall was, and we've seen it many times. Many times, these people make great, great coordinators, but once you give them the head coaching role, they just it it just doesn't work out. It's just something just doesn't click or whatever it may be. But then as soon as they go back to their coordinator roles, they're, they're freaking amazing. Look at Wade Phillips. Uh, he stunk it up as, uh, as the Cowboys head coach, but as soon as he went back to his DC roles, he went and won a Super Bowl with uh, the Broncos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I totally forgot to you know mention that, but you know, having an inexperienced head coach like Dan Campbell, um, you know, having a, just going back to sounding board you know, having a sounding board of, of someone who's been, uh, you know, a uh, head coach in the past, you know, who's seen probably some crazy stuff, you know, that those teams have been in, those Chargers teams were were in some pretty unique situations, kind of like the Lions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just having that sounding board, you know, there's no need to absorb the negatives, only take the positives in, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's only going to be up from there. And, you know, Anthony Lynn's been in a bunch of different situations, you know, he's had to uh, make it work with a, you know, a, a veteran who's who's been on, eight different teams he's he's had to you know have a rebuild with a with a young quarterback you know he's had to groom a young quarterback behind a veteran you know i mean yeah having that kind of experience is great for a young team like this yeah no i I agree and we we kind of didn't even touch on dan campbell but you know he got to sit behind and learn behind uh sean payton for a whole year so it's like that guy was probably soaking in as much knowledge as he could too and and he kind of had a major role there he was assistant head coach right um assistant head coach but he was also assistant to the head coach so it was a bit more a more intensive position so uh from my understanding he would be the one who would you know come up with he would come up with the game plan um that's awesome yeah so and then he'd not only come up with it but he'd he'd like project it to the to the players right so they'd come up with the game plan he'd talk to it with the coaches uh you know and then they'd, they'd develop it and then um he'd portray it to the players right so he'd kind of be the voice between the players and the coach so um, and, and we've seen the Saints offense and defense these last couple of years. They've had an amazing offense and an amazing defense. I mean, their only downfall has been Breeze getting older and his arm strength not as much. But if this past year, if Breeze wouldn't have had all those picks in the playoffs, I, I believe they, they were probably going to go all the way. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, uh, I, most, most analysts had him going all the way. <laughs> yeah, they did. And, you know, I, I think Breeze might have been holding them back. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah, I had Taysom Hill in fantasy this year, and uh, kind of carried me in the playoffs. Um, so that was nice. But yeah, no, uh, it should be good. And I gotta say, man, we gotta 
watch out for DeAndre Swift. That man is going to eat. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. In an Anthony Lynn offense, that guy is going to eat. So, and do Staley. Yeah. Wow. And, oh, man. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about Aaron Glenn, but after that, we'll talk about our you know favorite hires for the rest of the bunch. Okay. Uh, sneak preview, mine is Deuce Staley. But all right, we'll talk about Aaron mine Glenn. Too. <laughs> uh, you know, Aaron Glenn, secondary's coach uh, from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, what do you think of him? I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Uh, I like what he did with Janoris Jenkins, kind of help him bounce back from his Giants days. He was kind of trash his last couple seasons as a Giants, and then Janoris Jenkins goes over to the Saints and kind of starts having a bounce back season with them. Um, his development with uh, Marshawn Lattimore has been awesome. Marcus Williams back there at free safety has been awesome. Chauncey Gardner is just like he's produced so many secondary players, and Malcolm Jenkins went back there too. Uh, I just feel like that's how the Saints defense got better is that their secondary got a lot better. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of those guys, most of those guys are homegrown. You know, he, they got them. They all are. Yeah. Besides yeah. Malcolm Jenkins and which he was technically homegrown and then left and came back. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Aaron Glenn was a uh, Bill Parcells disciple. I think he played under him um, in Buffalo as well as uh, Dallas. And uh, I think I uh, was listening to an interview and, and he pretty much said, Bill Parcells is the one who told me to get into coaching. Uh, but he told me before I got into coaching, I'd have to go into personnel. So he was a scout at first. So, um, and he was, he's under that Bill Parcells umbrella. So it's, it's, it's nice, you know, uh, he's having, uh, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but having another player uh, in a coaching position, you know, all the, all the coaches we've talked about have been players, uh, Dan Campbell, Anthony Lynn, Aaron Glenn, yeah. Um, so having that, you know, this is another thing that's the complete opposite of the previous regime. You know, those guys were, um, you know, there was a big divide between the players and the coaches, uh, the players in the front office, because they had this, uh, you know, superior than thou attitude, uh, how they were right. And the, and the players, you know, worked for them and the players had to do whatever they. Yeah, definitely. Having, you know, players and coaching positions, you know, players, coaches, um, you know, is a nice thing, you know, like, can it go the other way? I don't know. We'll have to see, but you know, for now, you know, it's a nice uh, change of, of pace from what we've seen. Yeah. No, you're right about that because all the saints players had nothing but good things to say about Dan Campbell, how he's a player's guy. Um, he will get you riled up. He will get you ready for the moment. He like, that's who that guy is. He's not there to put you down and squash all your confidence that, you know, kind of Matt Patricia kind of had some type of ego trip or whatever it was that he was doing that with players. I, I don't even understand why you would do that to players is smash them down to the minimum and then try to down talk them even more and get them up out of there. Uh, yeah, that, that made no sense to me. And I love the fact that all these Saints players have nothing but good things to say about Dan Campbell, say how they, how he motivating he can be, how smart he is how he's a player's guy. I mean, I feel like we need that right now. We need somebody to uplift these players and bring the potential out of them that they have. I mean, we, we, we see so many players on this team. I mean, you talk about it every day through text. We're like, oh, man, like, we feel like this guy can be better or we feel like this guy can be better. But it, And they probably can be. It's just they need to be in the right system under the right people. And Matt Patricia and his guys were definitely not the right people. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Dan Campbell and, you know, Aaron Glenn. And, you know, we keep saying these guys are, you know, players, coaches, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, they're X's and O's guys too. You know, Aaron Glenn, you know, he's not he's not just a, you know, a former player and, you know, just a, a, 
you know, that's like a former player, you know what I mean? I mean, in his free time on his vacations, he goes on like football research trips. You know, I, I was uh, listening that's to an awesome. interview and uh, he, he went, uh, last year he went on a trip and uh, spent like two weeks with Bill Belichick, just studying football theory and, and stuff like that. And he does that every summer. He goes to different coaches, uh, Nick Saban, uh, Kirby Smart, and they just study football, you know, and that's insane for you know someone just to get in the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty of a football theory and stuff like that for fun on his own time. That's, that's insane. So yeah. having someone like that, who's also a player's coach, you know, is, is, is nice. And, you know, uh, we'll see how it goes, you know, especially for a team that's kind of starting from scratch, man. We have so many young DBs, um, you know, Jeff Akuda, Amani Oruwari, you know, we're probably going to need another, we're probably going to need to draft a cornerback unless we sign another one, but you know, it's oh, nice sure. seeing Aaron Glenn, you know, develop these young pups uh, in the secondary. Um, yeah, Tracy Walker. I mean, we've seen Tracy Walker have a really good rookie season. And the, then last season, it was kind of like he was just disappearing in moments. So it's like, I'm excited to see what Aaron Glenn does with Tracy Walker and see if he brings out his potential. And because his rookie year, he was looking like he could be something. And then last year, it was like, who is this guy? He resembles nothing of this guy, oh, the guy we had our rookie year. Yeah, yeah. I agreed, man. And I, I must say though, you know, Tracy Walker's young and he's good, but for me, he'll always be a Bob Quinn guy or, or Matt Patricia guy. And he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll just never get rid of that stand. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> no, no, I, I know what you're saying, but go, going back to the Aaron Glenn being our new DC, I'm also excited to see what he does with our front four. Cause that's one of the things I talked to you about. Like, um, Trey Flowers, obviously, yeah, we overpaid for him. He was a Bob Quinn guy. He was a Patriots guy, so we overpaid. But I don't, I don't, I don't believe that he's he's a bad player though. He's not worth this contract, but I, he's definitely better than what we've seen out of him the last two years. Deshaun Hand, uh, I know his problem has kind of been injuries, but I'm excited to see what they get out of him as well. He he's shown flashes of where it's it's been like, oh wow, this guy could be a really good player. But then there goes his injuries and whatnot and then he's having all these setbacks so it's like i'm really excited to see what they bring out of our front four too even okawara oh i'm so uh, we'll get to that later about him resigning but I'm, I'm glad he's back i'm excited to see what his brother does his first full year i guess you'd say since he never really got to play last season so it's like we have the potential there it's just i, I want to see these coaches bring it out of them yeah agreed you know even guys like austin bryant dude there's like a lot of guys there that the, the previous regime liked uh but this never panned out like austin bryant that guy gets hurt like every two games but yeah. uh somehow finds himself in the starting lineup whenever he comes back i don't think i've ever even seen him make a tackle but previous <laughs> team was so high on him so i don't know we'll see so oh you know, yeah we talked about dan Campbell. we talked about anthony lynn aaron glenn uh you know we talked about well, let's talk about some of the other hires um you know what are your favorites you know i know i kind of hinted at deuce staley Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess I'll kind of talk about him. Uh, running backs coach from uh, the Eagles. Yeah, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he's also assistant head coach there. Uh, he comes here as also assistant head coach. Uh, he also comes in as assistant to the head coach. So same position that Dan Campbell had in um, Phil, uh, New Orleans. He's going to Oh, I didn't know that. Going to give to Deuce Staley. So uh, from my understanding, they're, you know, they sit one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, they talk about, you know, the game plan. He's going to help prepare the game plan and how to project it to the team and stuff. So, um, you know, you need – he's pretty much a head coach in, in, in waiting. Uh, and to get someone like that oh, yeah, as a season sure. coach is is crazy. Um, and he was so highly sought out, you know, in, in the league. 
um, you know, when people found out that he was going to leave Philly because Philly, right. first of all, what the hell is Philly doing, dude? This guy is, <laughs> he's a Philly, uh, you know, he was born no, I, and bred I, I, in I, Philly. He was a running back in Philly. He played in Philly. He's been coaching in Philly for like 12 years. Like, what are you guys doing? They hired this weird, uh, you know, Nick, Nick Sirianni. Sirianni. Yeah. yeah. I felt dude, terrible Philly should have been head coach. You know, I, yeah, I agree with coach. you. I agree with you. I totally felt I felt terrible for Deuce because that's the only reason he left the Eagles. He he would have still been there right now if they would have uh, shown him the respect he deserved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was just like, fuck this. Like, I'll give you guys everything. And then you guys choose some Nick Seriani that has no experience whatsoever. No play calling experience or anything. Yeah. yeah and like, he, he just sat behind Frank Reich one year and that's it. He's the head coach now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a different discussion, but um, there's a lot of teams that wanted him and even the bears, you know, the bears were heavy after him and, uh, you know, they didn't get him and he, and he wanted to come and join Dan Campbell because he, he, he liked what he was building. And, you know, it's going to sound stupid. We're going to sound like homers. Uh, but, you know, just the vibes that's coming off this team is, is, is resonating with the players and, and coaches so far. Yeah, no, you're right. We are going to sound like homers, but it's just like, it's like how I said earlier, something about this time feels right. Like everything's just, being put to uh, put together st- strategically it's just well thought out well planned and it's like the names you're bringing in with the experience that they have it just feels very very right and that's why yeah we're probably going to sound like homers on this part but that's okay i mean that we're lions fans if, if something seemed wrong uh we'd honestly tell you but you could say as a lions community me and you are part of a couple different facebook pages and stuff like even the lions community just something feels right about these hires that it's got like all of us Detroit Lions fans putting smiles yeah. back on our faces, getting ready, getting getting that excitement going again. It's like okay, something feels. It's it's kind of like okay, I know Jim Schwartz wasn't the best, but when he took over, he, he did make a change. He he put yeah. that competitive edge back in us. New energy. He had yeah. them compete. He had them competing, and obviously he had us in the playoffs again. So it, it's like that feeling again. It's like you you feel that this is the start of something. Yeah. And hey, and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work, but it's different, you know, and yeah. we've tried almost everything else. So, exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, any other my, coaches? Yeah. I, I was going to say, um, I, I kind of mentioned him earlier. earlier. I, I do like Don Capers a lot that he's coming on. Um, I just feel like he has a lot of football background. He has all those years as the Packers, uh, DC. He got, Charles Woodson as a uh, deep boy. So it, it's just like him with Aaron Glenn. I feel like if he can give his insight to Aaron Glenn and they, they can conjoin and make a, a plan together that, that like our defense is going to be much, much better than last season. Yeah. And I also, this guy has not mentioned too much, but I do like Antoine Randall all as our uh, wide Ooh. receivers coach. That's a sneaky uh, one. Yeah. 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 That, like, tell me, tell me about him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that came out of nowhere. Didn't expect him as, as I guess if people remember Antoine Randall, he's mostly known for his Steelers days as a wide receiver. He was a converted quarterback. Um, amazing guy, amazing wide receiver at that time. He wasn't no consistent thousand yard receiver, but he was the reliable guy, the third down guy. You could always count on him. Um, just played on a couple of different, a uh, couple of different teams, but he also has that football insight and the, the fact that we're bringing him on as a wide receivers coach and he's an ex QB he's obviously going to be able to tell players, okay, you're going to run this route. Or if the quarterback's scrambling, you got to do this. You got to do that. That's what he was also great at. Because if you guys remember, Big Ben back in his early days was always scrambling. So the wide receivers needed to know what, how to change their routes. This guy's going to help them with that. This guy's going to help their route trees. He, he was smart. He was a quarterback converted to a wide receiver that had success in the NFL. I, I absolutely love this hire. 
Yeah, that's a good one. I don't think he's uh, actually been a, an actual position coach in the NFL. Uh, I think he was kind of just uh, like an offensive assistant, uh, actually with the Bucks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but hey, I mean, they won a Super Bowl, so whatever. And uh, he was a great receiver, so I like it. I like to hire, uh, and I liked him as a player. Uh, yeah. Uh, I will say, though, I did not like the hire um, of Mark Grunell as the QB coach. For me, I, I think this is a critical hire. It needed to be someone who can develop a young quarterback, someone who has history of developing a young quarterback, and someone who can get um, a veteran who's kind of lost right now back on track, uh, Jared Goff. You know, Mark Brunel is a first-time coach in the NFL uh, at any position. He's never never even been a, kind of like an offensive analyst or anything. Uh, he's coming from, I think, a high school coaching position. So um, I'm not sure if this is what the team needs right now, um, especially uh, given, you know, where they are at quarterback with Goff being a, <laughs> a mental train wreck uh, and, you know, the possibility of, of a young um, first-round pick coming in or young quarterback coming in soon uh, this year, next year, or whenever. So that one was kind of a uh, head-scratcher to me. But uh, I know you kind of like that one, so uh, maybe walk me off the ledge here. Well, I- I'm just excited that it's been a long time since we've actually got a name guy as our quarterback coach. So Mark Brunel, uh, his most time was known for being with the Ravens and the uh, Rams, I believe it was. He, he wasn't a terrible coach, a uh, terrible coach, terrible QB, but he was a good QB. And I feel like somebody that's had that NFL experience, I can pass it on to another young guy like Jared Goff. Like, obviously, his issues aren't mechanics. It's so it's more so mental. And I think that's why I like this hire, because Mark Brunel, he's got to do it all. He's got to start in the NFL. He's got to sit behind some good quarterbacks. He's learned so i feel like this is the aspect that he can help uh jared goff out in is the mental aspect because it's jared goff's problem weren't uh anything physical they weren't anything like mechanics or such sort that he's taking to uh like the drop back steps or he's uh it's more so stuff like he's holding on to the ball too long it's it's uh getting sad getting getting those fumbles because he's holding on the ball too long or just bad decision-making, bad throws that are leading to interception. And I feel like in that aspect, Mark Brunel can help him. I guess we'll have to see. Um, you know, it's it's definitely an interesting hire. Um, you know, I know there's rumors of him coming to the NFL, um, you know, even before the Lions, um, you know, hired him. So it'll be, you know, interesting to see. Yeah, and it's like, it's not like he's my most favorite hire, but I guess I just don't mind the hires, uh, I guess the best way to put it. Like, I do like the hire. I just, I don't mind it. I don't think it's a bad signing, but I don't think it's a great signing either. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Well, you know, we'll probably have a better understanding of, you know, where these coaches stand after the draft, you know, uh, you know, what they have to do and what they, what they're working with. So. Yeah, man, I'm so excited about the draft because I, I want to see what direction they're heading in. Because right now it's kind of like they're playing everything as a mystery game. They're like, hey, quarterback's up in the air. This is up in the air. Like, who knows what route we go? And I like that they're doing it that way, too, because I feel like the problem with last year, us being unable to trade back, was that Bob Quinn kind of let it be known that he wasn't taking a quarterback. And it, it made it difficult for us to trade back. We couldn't we couldn't even move back with Miami. We couldn't move back with the Chargers. We had to stay put and pick Okuda, which that wasn't the bad pick. But I just wish it was a couple spots back or like three, four spots back, which I think we would have been able to move if we didn't show our hands too much. Yeah, agreed. 
And uh, yeah, last year, you know, we should have been into a talk, but we really weren't. And everyone knew that. Um, and, you know, everyone, knew, our hands were kind of tied. You know, we were, everyone knew we were taking a Cuda. There's really no other option for us at, at that spot if we weren't going to take a quarterback. So yeah, uh, exactly. way to go, Bob Quinn. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like the fact that the, they've already been at um, Zach Wilson's pro day. Like it's like they're just showing, even if they're not even thinking about drafting the guy, they're still doing their due diligence and showing up and, you know, at least keeping these teams guessing like, huh, I wonder what the lines are doing at seven. Yeah. And, and you know, what's beautiful about that, you know, nothing they've done is free agency and free agency has like changed any like long-term plans or, or what they could potentially do with any pick they have. So that's, you know, what, what, what the beauty of it is, you know, let's talk about free agency, you know, let's talk about, uh, you know, who they brought in, um, and, and what your favorite signing is, uh, you know, they brought in some, some key pieces and, and some surprising pieces. So I like to understand, you know, what your thoughts are and, and what you like and don't like. Well, my, my Facebook community, and you can probably stick up for this. My favorite signing was Okawara. I've been saying it since uh, not last season, last season, he kind of had a, not his most current season, but the season before that, he kind of had a down season, but it was the season before that. I think he had about six sacks and I was like, this guy's good. Like he can, he can get to the quarterback. It's just something about him. He has a bit, uh, high motor. Um, he's strong. He's physical with the uh, tackles. So it's, it's, I really do like that signing. And the fact that he had 10 sacks this season, I don't think it's just a one hit wonder type of thing. I think this guy can consistently get to the quarterback and I'm not saying he's going to be a double digit sack guy every season, but from anywhere about like eight to 10 sacks, I feel like he can do that. He's, he, he's very high motor. He's physical. And now that he's going to be in a scheme where he's going to get more help from other people last year, it was just him get, doing it alone. That's what made it surprising too. Everybody knew that our only guy that got to the quarterback was Okawara and he still did it. Yeah. And he was literally the only person that got pressure last year. Yeah. And I think uh, he's literally the only guy that, that like succeeded in Patricia's scheme over the past like three years. Yeah, um, you know, every true. other guy has kind of had like dampened stats or whatever. This is the one guy that's, you know, flourished, which is surprising. So it'll be interesting to see him in a uh, new scheme, uh, especially now that he's paid. So we'll see. And uh, we got to see his brother step up too, man. Like what the hell happened last year? Yeah, I just uh, they, they kind of kept that under the wraps. I don't know. It was just injury and he just never saw the field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But another thing with uh, Okawara is like, like I was saying earlier, it's, he's he's always providing pressure no matter like, what the other guys are doing or what they're not doing. This guy was always consistently there. And that's what didn't make sense. The, the season before this one, again, it was probably just another stupid ass Matt Patricia move. He was giving them less uh, snaps in the rotation and it just wasn't making sense. And it was like, I don't know if it, if it was because of injuries, like Matt Patricia realized he needed to use this guy more or what, but that this season he breaks out, but I feel like he could have been uh, consistently developing if we would have played him more the season before that too. It's just out of nowhere, he was not getting snaps or reps in the rotation yeah agreed so yeah he was rotational they they really uh you know only used him in pass rushing situations so you know now that he's paid uh, i'm not sure uh you know we're gonna have to see him in in, in all all downs you know so we'll see I don't right. know. and i do like the fact that he's homegrown as well i know we didn't draft him uh he was signed as an undrafted free agent with the giants i believe and after he let go with the Giants, he signed with us, and he's been with us since. And I love the fact that he even re-signed with us. I'm, I'm sure in an open market as a DN, I can't say this as a fact, but I'm sure he could have got more money if he wanted to. I'm not, I don't know what the market was like for him, but 
DNs, we already know they get paid yeah. easily. Yeah. I mean, he was one of the most coveted DEs on the market, to be honest. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, there were, I mean, it was slim pickings, to be honest. It was, it was a, it was a shitty free agency market, but I think it was, you know, top three. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, as far as, you know, my, one of my favorite additions, you know, it wasn't a signing, but uh, it was a trade. I'd probably say Michael Brockers. Um, this oh, is a real, uh, you know, culture setting uh, player. You know, he's, uh, I think he's getting uh, a bit old. I think he's 30, 31. Uh, you know, it's still, you know, no, he, in the he, prime of, of a defensive tackle. He's 29. He's, he's still oh, 29. 29. Okay. Yeah. He's still there. But yeah. you know, this is, uh, you know, I know we talked, we referred to the, the Jim Schwartz era a couple minutes ago. This is kind of reminds me of the Kyle Vandenbosch signing. Yeah. You know, a bit of a veteran who's there to, you know, he can produce still. He's, he can still produce, uh, but he's there to set the tone, uh, there to, you know, set the culture. Uh, and not to cross over to the NBA too much, but uh, it reminds you of the Jeremy Grant signing. You know, referring back to the Pistons pod we did, I think it was episode one, we said we were okay with paying Jeremy Grant $20 million a year. Uh, we were okay with paying Plumlee $8 million a year to set the culture. You know, we're paying maybe 20% over market value, but whatever, you know, uh, for a young team that needs culture, uh, that needs a direction, and has a, young, a lot of young players, these are the type of players you need. So, yeah, I agree, uh, and then especially being in a market we're in, it's not like Detroit's highly coveted. Uh, oh, of course, and flying out and, here, and uh, just looking at the current defensive tackle market, it's bare. You know, he would have been the best defensive tackle on the market. So, getting him for a seventh round pick uh, is unbelievable. Uh, was it a twenty twenty seven seventh round pick or something, or like a very uh, future tw- seventh? Yeah, yeah, I think it was a 2024 or something like that, oh, like seventh, seventh, seventh round pick. But yeah, yeah. it's like it's it's like a pick that's not even probably gonna make any difference to us. And I, and I think we resigned them uh, four year, thirty two mil, so um, yeah. decent value. You know, uh, maybe a bit high, but you know, not nothing too crazy. So, yeah, I like him. He's gonna set the tone, and uh, you know, our defensive line isn't looking too shabby. We may probably need one more situational pass rusher, probably one more uh, interior defensive lineman. And you know we're there. You know we're we're you know average to decent defensive line with potential. So, I agree because like a John John Pensini, uh, he he was another diamond in the rough that we found last year that was a bright spot of last season. And I'm hoping he continues to develop and be a good rotational guy. So it's like like you said, we have Brockers, we have Hand, we have Pensini. Uh, Flowers and uh, Okwara back, uh, Okwara's little brother. It's like we have the pieces there to at least make out to be an average defensive line. I'm not saying like a top 10 D-line, but at least an average defensive line. We were bottom, what were we, bottom five last year? So it's like if we if we can at least get to that 15 spot, our defense will be so much better just based off of that. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, not saying that, you know, you know this team is still pretty bare. <laughs> right. But uh, they're not complete garbage you know they have you know players they have draft picks you know high draft picks um like for instance will harris you know i mean uh, i'm just talking about on the defense in general they have uh, austin and bryant you know we talked about they have draft picks they have players there you know um even though he had a bad season last season um he stole a high draft pick i mean i don't i don't we'll see what the new coaching staff thinks of him but hopefully they'll they can bring the best out of him yeah Okay, great. Yeah, so we, we talked uh, favorite signings. Anyone else you want to add into there? No, I, th- I think signing-wise, I think we just kind of had we, – we mostly just brought in, like, players that that can help us out for one, two-year spots while we're building this team. I did like the Alex Analizone signing. Uh, I feel like he's a better linebacker than Gerard Davis was for us at least. 
So I feel like that's a that's a positive right there. Yeah. Um, I I really but, liked uh, both Jamal Williams and Tyrell Williams. Oh, I totally forgot um, about Jamal Williams. Yeah, yeah I both those guys are, a lot. Uh, both those guys are play a major part. Um, this offense, you know, Jamal Williams is gonna. You know, he played a big role in Green Bay, and uh, he's only gonna be a play an even bigger role here. He's gonna play that and, and I like, Mark I like Ingram how... role to that uh, Alvin Kamara, um, and he's they got him for real cheap, and real he wants cheap. to be That's here. What I, was gonna say. I don't know if you I don't know if you listened to his uh, his um, press conference, but he wants to be here and he's happy. Uh, yeah, he's gonna be real good. I don't know what that means for Carry On, poor guy, but whatever, man. I'm on the Jamal Williams train. Um, he's a fun player. Oh, I am too, and. You know, I've watched uh, Jamal Williams just run over people. He's like that bruising back that will give you the tough yards that will wear the other team out. And I feel like he's a perfect fit for DeAndre Swift, who's going to be doing the opposite. He's more elusive, but also a power back as well. Don't get uh, people need to not get DeAndre Swift wrong. He just because he's tiny does not mean he's not strong. That that dude's a powerful little back, and he's elusive, but he has that strength to get the extra yards too. But Jamal Williams is going to be the perfect one-two punch with him. And like you were saying with the Chief. Uh, two years, seven mil. That's nothing for a backup back in the, today's league. And uh, I, I couldn't believe that we got him that cheap. I was actually surprised. And I love the fact that he's here now. Yeah. And I love the fact that we got him from Green Bay too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. anything to hurt those guys. And then uh, just real quick on Tyrell Williams. You know, he's a good player. He's, I think he was hurt last year. But, uh, you know, when he did play for Oakland, uh, I think it was a uh, year before, you know, he was good. Um, he was productive. He's a big player. I think he's six four. Kind of reminds me of a Mike Evans light or a Keenan Allen light. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, he's he's pretty old now. I think he's twenty nine thirty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's injury prone, so I'm not sure. You know what the expectations are here, but I know I think he's our he's our wide receiver one. So he's gonna get some volume. So he kind of he kind of reminds me of a, a a Marvin Jones. Obviously, uh, Marvin Jones is six two and he's six four, but they kind of play the similar style. They they got a little speed to them, but they're more possession guys as well. Yeah, yeah. So interesting player. Uh, he'll definitely play a part, and he'll definitely get some volume. Um, and we'll see what he can do with it. All right. I was gonna ask you, um, since we're talking free agency. What are what are one of the pieces that you you you're kind of sad about leaving? Well, besides Stafford, um, you know, to be honest, our team was so garbage. Uh, I'm not too sad about anyone. Uh, I guess mainly the, the main player is Marvin Jones. Uh, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. You know, those guys. Marvin Jones is a straight baller. Um, you know, he just came in day in day out and made plays. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, in crunch situations. In a two-minute drill, uh, you needed a, a clutch player to make a clutch play. And Marvin Jones, you know, put his body on the line and, and dove and made a catch. Or, you know, the bleeding with him was he could play the X, he could play the Y, he could play the Z. You know, his route running was impeccable. His speed was there. His size was there. Um, he was multifaceted. So, uh, you know, he made plays. Um, you know, I'm going to miss him. He was a good player. Um, same with Kenny Galladay. You know, Kenny Galladay was a um, homegrown player, you know, drafted – if you remember, he was drafted from uh, Northern Illinois uh, in the third round. Yep. Um, and people thought it was a reach. Um, and, you know, he, he obviously he outperformed where he was. And uh, it's always sad losing your homegrown grown players. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But uh, the only thing with Kenny Galladay is you know, we can we can touch this up uh, like on a later time. But um, I, I feel like he kind of just didn't want to be here anymore. He kind of showed that last season. Um, he kind of sold that when he turned down 18 mil from us and then 
it was reported that we even went up to 19 mil that we offered him and you know he ended up accepting the contract that he did with the giants but you're, you're definitely right about marvin jones i'm definitely gonna miss him he was definitely clutch he was always there he was Stafford's reliable guy for third downs um it's just somebody that a young QB like Jared Goff needs. So it does kind of suck losing him. And, you know, I wish him all the best with Bevel and Jacksonville. But it, he, he was like that reliable guy that a QB needs for a third down. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's going to, I'm definitely going to miss him. Um, you know, I wish he'd gone to another team, but I mean, whatever, Jacksonville it is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean the rest of these guys, Jesse James, nope, not gonna miss him. You know, right. Jared Davis, nope. Desmond Trufant, nope, sorry. You know, Justin Coleman, nope, sorry. Maybe Prater, you know, I did like Prater. So you know, good luck in Arizona. He was a good guy. Yeah, I did forget about Prater. I'm gonna miss Prater. He's definitely been clutch for us more times than not. Cool. So I guess moving on from there, uh, I guess what do you think is our biggest position of need from here, and uh, what players do you think can fill those needs? Um, you know, I guess we'll we'll leave uh, the draft uh, for a future podcast. You know, yeah. I think uh, you know for now we've caught up to where we are in the uh, you know NFL offseason, so yeah. uh, we'll leave that for next week or, or the week following after yeah, that. I, but I, um, as far as you know, uh, positions of need and players you want. Just say our top three positions of need and just end it at that. Is that does that sound good? Okay, cool. All right. Uh, I guess my top three positions of need uh, would be – I've kind of been saying this to you, and uh, I think when my buddy Matt was on this podcast with us uh, uh, a time before, I, I really feel like we need to shore up the offensive line. And the left side is good, but I feel like if we can get a dominant right tackle in there or even a right guard, but this, this draft is so offensive lineman loaded that we can get a really good tackle in the second round. Even I, I really feel like they need to address that for sure. Just, just based off of seeing um, big B last year and how, how horrible he was at the right tackle spot. I feel like right now is the time that we're in a rebuild. Just get that position and shore up the offensive line. Um, my second position would probably be defensive tackle. I know we got uh, Brockers, but like you kind of alluded to, he is up there in age and he's probably not going to be around for our long-term plans. So if we can get a defensive tackle that we can grow and develop, that'd be awesome. And we need about two linebackers. So that'd be my third position of need. And that actually even probably come before the defensive tackle position. If we can grab about a linebacker or two in this draft, uh, there's some really good ones out there. Dylan Moses, Cameron McGrone from Michigan, uh, Nick Bolton from Minnesota, any of these guys, uh, it'd be a tremendous help to our defense. Yeah, no, I agree with you on the uh, defensive tackle and the linebacker. I just feel like there's already so many assets invested into that line um you know there's we just can't afford to put anything else into there you know i'd I'd just rather throw a rookie or maybe a rotational guy into that you know that that spot that last spot um and you know and use a actual asset somewhere else um so i guess my three positions of need in the draft uh would be edge uh i feel like we need you know, some young edge uh, players. You know, I know we got Aquara. I know we got Julian Aquara. We got both Aquaras who are young. Uh, but besides that, you know, we have no one who can go out there and, you know, get get sacks, um, you know, consistently. We got Trey Flowers. Uh, I feel like at this point he's more of a, a chess piece who can move inside, outside, uh, go in the dirt, stand up. 
but he's not really a pass rusher. Um, you know, he can, he can get, uh, um, you know, pressure, but he never gets really sacks, you know, he can get QB hurries and stuff like that. So uh, I feel like we need someone who can, you know, uh, has that bend and speed on the outside that can, you know, consistently, you know, get to the quarterback. I know we got a young secondary, uh, you know, you can only help them by getting pressure to the quarterback. So, uh, you know, we got Brockers, uh, we got Flowers, we got, you know, a couple guys, um, you know, on the edge, but we need, you know, one more bona fide guy on the edge. Um, so that's probably my number one need. And that's kind of just a philosophical thing for me, you know, uh, on the defense, at least, you know, I build from uh, the D line uh, inside and out, uh, outside uh, first. So that's for me. And then second would be definitely the linebacker. Uh, that is bare bones. Uh, you know, I know we signed uh, Alex Anzello. Uh, you know, that's funny. He went to Florida. Uh, same with Jared Davis in the same draft. <laughs> um, you know, we're just going from one Florida guy to another, but you know, he was helpful. I think he should help, you know, transfer schemes from the saints. Uh, but besides that, you know, who are our linebackers? Um, I don't know. Tavai, you know, I, I really hope he's not on the team. Probably one of the slowest guys I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Agreed. Um, you know, and I know we'll talk drafts, you know, and you know, I'm probably giving, giving this away for free. But, you know, I, I want Micah Parsons, you know, at, at seven. He's a good player. He's a freak athlete. And, you know, we need a stud linebacker. So, um, you know, a little sneak preview there. Uh, so linebackers number two for me. And three, I'll probably go with a uh, wide receiver. You know, we need weapons. We have a revamped offense. We're going to be a running team, obviously, but we need some targets, uh, someone who can eat targets. we got Tyrell Williams, we got Brashad Perryman, but we need someone young there. You know, we just lost Kenny Galladay, who's homegrown talent. We need someone else. Uh, you know, I wouldn't even be opposed to getting a receiver early, you know, getting a bona fide player who can build, you can build your offense around. Yeah. Um, you know, help out Goff, build his confidence now but also help build a young quarterback when you do bring him in uh, next year, year after that. No, I'm with you with the, the, with the way this draft is loaded with wide receivers. We definitely need to take advantage and take one or two of them. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, those are my three positions for the draft. If you were to look at the free agent market that's left, uh, which it's not much left, but you were kind of getting to this earlier, what, what position would you bring in still that, that you think could shore up a little bit and help us out? I feel like uh, a cornerback or a defensive back would be the position I'd bring in. Um, you know, those positions are typically ones where rookies can't help right away. Um, and we need help in those positions right away. So, you know, someone like uh, Casey Hayward, uh, I think he played for Anthony Lynn in um, Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, he'd be a nice cornerback. Um you know, Brashad Brilliant, I think he played for the Chiefs. He's a nice player. You know, I bring a cornerback or safety, I guess, to answer your question. No, no, I, I agree with you because of uh, I, I was actually making this point to someone else a little while ago. Uh, look at what Rashawn Mathis and Glover Quinn did for Slay. Like, Slay had a horrible, slow first year. And then, you know, he, he just stayed under the ropes of those guys. And by his next year, he was turning into this really good corner. So I feel like that's what we need there for Okuda and Owarie and uh, Tracy Walker and them is we need that veteran presence that can teach and guide them uh, with their with the develop, developmental process. So Casey Hayward, that's a great great one that you named off. Uh, he he was actually an ex Packer too. So I I believe he was there when Dom Dom Capers was there. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look that up, but um, did he play for the Packers? Oh yeah, you're right, he did. Yeah, yeah he he came from the Packers and then from the Packers oh, yeah. he signed to the Chargers as a free agent. 
Oh yeah, um, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. That's a, that's a great one right there, just because he has all that. Um, he's played in the division too. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, he's played in the division. He he he's been a great corner. He's been one of those top ten corners in his uh in his time before. He, even his last season wasn't the greatest, but even before the his last season, he he was a very good corner, and he he's perfect guy to help there bring in to teach in our young guys and whatnot. Yeah, so Casey Hayward, that'd be a great one to bring in. You name Brashad Brilliant, that would be a great one. I just want any type of veteran presence to bring in just to help mold these young guys and help teach them. Yeah, anyone specific? Any names or anything? Uh, actually, as, as soon as you named off Casey Hayward, that one I liked a lot just because he has that Packers connection and he has that Anthony Lynn connection and he's been a top 10 corner. Yeah. I'd be, uh, there's a couple other guys out there too. I mean, uh, I guess just to name like Quan Alexander, I think he's a linebacker for the Saints too. Um, I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him in. Yeah, that'd um, be nice. Uh, I know he's coming off a, a, a little uh, injury. So th- th- that's the only thing with him. They're, they're worried about how he's going to bounce back. But yeah, as a trial basis, that, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, bad I, know, I know you and I talked about Malik Hooker, uh, you know, safety from the Colts, former first oh, round yeah. pick. Only 25 um, too. Yeah, I think he tore his ACL or something, but I mean, still, I mean, I take a shot on him. Um, yeah. When, when uh, Fuller became available, I, I did want us to take a shot on him. He he was a little bit more on the expensive end, and I don't know. Is he still Fuller? No, he ended up oh. signing with the Broncos. But yeah, somebody like him, that would have been a great signing. But obviously, our probably money cap situation wasn't there for a signing like that. Yeah. Um, there there's been a couple of DBs that I know me and you have wanted KZ. Uh, Keanu Neal, we both like that one, but those guys are gone. But the, these guys have to play it right with the cap situation too. But, yeah, I definitely want them to bring in a veteran corner or a safety at least. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, free agency is kind of slowing down here. It's, it's starting to become slim pickings. So, you know, I think draft talk is starting to, starting to heat up. And uh, I think that's a good place to end it here. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get to some draft talk in, in episode four, and we'll, we'll definitely – we, we got to do some Pistons talk too, but you know, I think this is a good uh, ending spot for episode three. I agree. Cool. Thank you for tuning in again. This is saved by the ball. And uh, my name is German and for money. Thank you for tuning in. Take care guys. Thanks guys.